channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron and I will be talking about four of our best business books. What a week, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> been great ed it's been a great week i'm, I'm real. i just want to let you know i'm really hot it's we're having i think the our, our last super really hot spell here in texas and it's really warm again yep we so, had some hundred days hundred degree plus days here too so yeah yeah so i'm i'm, I'm ready you know this is the I, since i moved from new york down to texas this is the, the the one time of year that i sort of regret not being back in new york is simply because you know it gets to be september and i'm like i just want to be able to put on a sweatshirt or something right and uh, that's just not happening for another 60 days so right right <laughs> <laughs> but but we've had some exciting news this week. A couple things happened in our lives. Um, for, first of all, we had a great conversation with one of our sponsors, uh, Dan Kraus from Leading Results. And you know he's, he's been a fantastic sponsor of the Soul of Enterprise for quite some time. And just want to let all of you know that, that Dan's going to be doing some, some uh, social media and some, some web work for us. And we're, we're really excited about that. And just to let those of you who listen to the show know, if you're interested in being a sponsor, we think now would be a good time to come on because – we're we're ready to explode, I think, Ron. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be great. Yeah, I think Dan is really going to help. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna kick it up a notch, as uh, Emerald says. So so that was, <laughs> but that but that wasn't the biggest news of the week, or that might be like the biggest long term news. We'll have to see how that plays itself out. The biggest news was that uh, someone I know was named to the list of top one hundred most influential people in accounting, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, coincidentally enough, I know somebody too. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Cuz uh this is the first time you've made the list, folks. This it, is accounting today. Yes. And every year they they put out a list in September called the top 100 most influential people, thought leaders and visionaries who are shaping the accounting profession. And Ed, who's had what Ed, a total of two accounting classes. <laughs> debits, debits by the door. Debits yeah, by the door. Yeah. Debits by the door. Yep. Uh, and you made the list, and uh, look, <laughs> I've been nominating you every year. So uh, you, you know, this is this is long overdue as far as I'm concerned. But I, I was thrilled to uh, thrilled to see you up there, along with your colleague Jennifer War was on the list as well. Yes, and you know we just interviewed Jen- Jennifer a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, another well-deserved placement, probably more deserving than I'm. I'm a more of a background guy, but but I 
<laughs> I, I appreciate the the editor selecting me, and I'm truly honored by it. And and um, hopefully this, the, maybe I'll make it a couple of years. I'm, I'm but you're you're what? This is your tenth, eleventh time, something I like think that. It's you had my a twelfth, twelfth yeah, time, I think right? It's my twelfth, yeah. And you were on the list because uh, now what they do is they ask, of course, the hundred and something. Well, it's, it's more than 100 because there's 100 people plus, I guess, 15 or so people who they are listed as up-and-comers, right? Right, watching and or whatever. Watching, yeah. watching. Yeah. And, and they, they take a poll of who they think is the most influential. And, of course, Barry Melanson, who is the, the, the head of the AICPA, is, is always listed as the most influential, which makes complete and total sense. Sure. Right? Uh, I always but, vote for him. Yeah, well, see, there you go. See, that, and that was your problem. You should have voted for yourself. You would have broken the third place tie. So you came in third place, tied, as, which, which is great, Ron. That is awesome. And, I, and I, I really do think, and I think I get the sense that the, 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 the movement, the fixed price movement, the value price movement, the firm of the future movement, is, it just has an incredible amount of steam right now. It does. And nobody, and you know, for those who thought it was a fad or, or this will go away, you know, fad of the month, flavor of the month, uh-uh. this is here to stay, folks. This is, this is changing the profession. And just a shout out, too, because we interviewed him at the Sage Summit. Ed, Tom Hood is actually second on that list. So I, um, I, I come a distant third, both after Barry and Tom. But uh, it was great to see that because Tom's had a major impact on the profession as well. Yeah, he sure has. And I, I have the pleasure of doing a pre-con session at the uh, IPBC conference up in Niagara Falls, Ontario, with uh, Tom on the Wednesday before that conference. In fact, so if you go out to our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, and hit our live events, you will see that uh, is listed out there. So come on by. If you're, if you're in, in Canada listening to Voice America and you're a bookkeeper, <laughs> come, on, come on by to the IPBC. We'd love to have you there. And, and Tom and I would love for you to come to our session. We're going to do a – this is great, Ron. We're going to take the best of from both of our content on, on vision and strategy and, and squish it together. Oh, fantastic because you both have great content. Yeah. So that that that. <laughs> so I'm sure your session will bleed into the rest of the four days of the conference or whatever. <laughs> we're hoping we're hoping to set up a, a mind blowing experience. So, but no, I'm sure it will be. Hey, I'm happy to say that I'll be there probably because I'm I'm coming in on Tuesday, so I'll oh, be good. up in Niagara the night before. So uh, I think I'll be able to attend your session. Good, you can come heckle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or sit in the back and take notes. Well, maybe. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's get on to our best business books, Ron. We've got four of them to talk about today. Uh, as we, and this is what this is the third time we've done this, right? I think so. We did it in May, and then again in July, and then we skip we because we, we we alternate this with our our entrepreneur heaven theme, right? Um, and then this is the third time that we're we're going to do this. So, uh, so you you're you're up first. So, what what book do you got to throw to talk about today? Wow. Okay. Well, and I know you know this book because I actually assigned it for our, uh, I think it was our first Verisage retreat when we did it in, uh, I think it was November, October of 2007. Yeah. Um, that's when uh, Paul O'Byrne, our late colleague, was, was there. And um, I assigned the book, The Future of Management by Gary Hamill. Mm. Now, this book blew my mind. Um, and anytime a book blows my mind, then, you know, I want all of our colleagues to read it. And I remember a lot of people did read it and we had a really good discussion about it at our retreat. And 
you know, he basically starts out by saying, your company is being managed by a small coterie of long-departed theorists who invented the rules and conventions of modern management back in the 20th century. And, and he's basically saying management is out of date. Like mm. the combustion engine, it's a technology that has largely stopped evolving, yeah. and that's not good. Um, and, you know, I, I especially, you'll, you'll especially love this, especially given our, our show the other week on the Experts Speak, but your company has 21st century internet-enabled business processes, mid-20th century management processes, all built atop a 19th century management principles. Ouch, <laughs> and and you know he's basically saying, look, the the we we still continued obviously to innovate strategically, right, with strategy, with uh, product service and in innovation, mm-hmm. with even operational innovations, but management innovation itself has has ceased to evolve, and and then Ed in the book he he lists all these management ideas, and we're talking from right after the Civil War. You know, so like the 1870s on up to about 1950, things like scientific management, which was our first show, Taylorism, right. cost accounting and variance analysis, you know, budgeting, brand management, large scale project management, divisionalization, uh, you know, all of these things all date back, most of them prior to 1900. Some of them do bleed into the, the 1900s, but he's saying, Look, you know, we, we develop these organizations and they put efficiency ahead of every goal because, of course, most management was invented to solve the problem of efficiency. But that is obviously no longer the case, you know, especially in the knowledge economy, which, which he does talk about as well in here. And he says, you know, most management innovation has been incremental, largely because there's a lack of in- innovation and so he, he's basically saying we need to start putting the same level of, of creativity and, and big, big ideas and big vision and experimentation into innovation. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I remember a couple of really key points of, of that book. And he tells some great stories, too, because I think, he, as I recall, he, the, the book alternates like – Here's what I'm talking. Here's my theory. Here's a, sto- a story that illustrates it. Right? It's kind of a back and forth on those things. Yes, a- absolutely. In fact, this is the the book where I first learned of the ulcer wars. You know, the two doctors from the Royal Perth right. Hospital who who had the theory that ulcers were bacteria. They weren't caused by stress, and of course, the medical community shunned them. And of course, in 2005, 20 years after their first experiment, they were awarded the Nobel Prize for this discovery. And he, he does lay out some management innovations, Ed, and like you said, this is where he gives the examples. You know, this is what I'm talking about. Here's what I mean. Right. And, and things like he you know, talks about Toyota, Toyota production uh, system being an example of a management innovation because, you know, we chalked it off here to uh, the USA automobile company. Oh, that's a cultural difference. You know, that's the Japanese culture and they're into calisthenics in the morning and but then Toyota came over here, built factories, and got the same level of production right. <laughs> of American workers. So there goes the cultural theory out the window, right? Right, and, right. Uh, he, he gives examples of companies that, that embrace uh, management innovation. He calls them positive deviants, or I love this, management mutants. <laughs> but Whole Foods obviously has some very sure. innovative management. Uh, Gore-Tex, Google talks a lot about Google in the book. Of course, Semco. 
right? Our buddy right. Zill um, and uh, you know Morningstar is in, in his follow-up book, and and one that I think is really a good point and often overlooked, Lennox. Here, here's something that was developed with no management, no hierarchy, no command, no control, right? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was purely yep. reputation. I would add to this list of management innovations at prediction markets. Obviously, the internet. Uh, you know, he talks about that. Uh, strategic pricing, I think, is is a form of management innovation, right? Because it's become now such a C suite function. Sure. But I I think our entire firm of the future, at least for professional firms, is also management innovation. Because look, we're talking about effectiveness over efficiency, or better yet, efficaciousness. We're talking about you know pricing, not hourly billing. We're talking about no timesheets, after action reviews, no performance appraisals. These aren't just business model changes. These are actually management innovation. And, and I would throw Jody Thompson's row in there, the results-only work environment. Mm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I, just just ponder that for a little bit because you know, we, we have classically just talked about this as, as business model change. But, but you're right. I think it is, it is a management innovation. It really is in that top category. Well, good for us. Look at that. It, it is. And, and, you know, it's not easy to get into his top category because, you know, he's got, he lays out criteria that, you know, for management innovation to yield a competitive advantage, it has to be novel, challenges longstanding orthodoxy, which we certainly do. It's got to be systemic, encompassing a range of processes and methods, which we, it is. And it's got to be part of an ongoing program of rapid fire invention where progress compounds over time. Well, the after action review, knowledge management, all of that lets you do that. So I, I, I think the future of management is a brilliant work and his follow-up book is uh, What Matters Now. And it, it, it kind of expands on his concepts in this book. But I really like this book. It really does stop and make you think on almost every page. Yep. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, but, well, one down, three to go. And we are up against our first break. But we'd like to remind you that you can visit us on our website, thesoulofenterprise.com. Also, if you need to ask us a question, we'd love to get your emails at asktsoe at verisage.com. And if you want to follow along with us always at Twitter, we do monitor the hashtag during the show and throughout the week at hashtag asktsoe. So lots of ways to get a hold of us. But right now, we are going to take a commercial break and listen to a, a commercial from our friend we mentioned earlier, Dan at Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. 
Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise the colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. Absolutely brilliant. Thus, thusly begins <laughs> Edwin Friedman's book, A Failure of Nerve, Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix. And I've got to tell you, Ron, this, this is the first of the two books that I'm going to be talking about today that, that I, you know, I don't have – concrete data on this, more more about this idea of data in a second, but I don't have concrete data on this, but I honestly think that these are the two books that I have the most underlines and highlights and OMGs and actually much more appropriate expletives written next to some of these absolute explosions of mind-enticing stuff, and this is a dense, dense book. It is. And, and it's only, you know, 220-something pages. But when you open with the colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. There's not a lot of places to go, but more dense than that. I mean, if you, and by the way, his follow-up sentence to that, which I think is the prescription, right? right, the, right. The first sentence is the diagnosis, but the, which he's right on, by the way, I think with the diagnosis. But his prescription is if you want to change your child, spouse, customer, or boss – and uh, by the way, I would add international relations, other world leader, uh, whatever you want. I mean, this, this scales completely up. If you want to change them, uh, then stay connected while changing yourself rather than trying to fix them. And the principle that Friedman puts forward in here is what, what he calls the self-differentiated leader, uh, and which is completely – antithetical to all of most of not all but most of the leadership advice that you will hear now about empathy we must lead the great leaders must be empathetic they, they must feel your pain wrong they must yep. feel your, they have to feel your pain which is nonsense i do not want my leaders to feel my pain i want my leaders to perhaps comprehend my pain and maybe be compassionate uh, but I don't want them to feel my pain because all of the, all the only thing that this would do was get two have two people who are now in pain, mm-hmm. and he he just goes on to talk about how at the at the very from from the very beginning I mean, talk about life at the absolute cellular level, uh, life really didn't fully begin until cells became self differentiated, and ever since then it's all about me. 
Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that from a biological standpoint. Now, the, this does not mention that you that you go and do purposeful harm to others, right? Then you become cancer. But one must completely self-differentiate themselves and and remain healthy themselves before they can even begin to think about even potentially helping others. Right. It's the airline uh, announcement, right? Put, put on your mask before helping others. That, that's correct. That's correct. And, you know, the, and, and of course, well, one of the, the people that I think is the best example of some great, and I probably told the story on the show previous, but it's, it's worth telling again, is, is Captain Chesley Sullenberger. Right. Mm-hmm. As a, a great example of somebody who is completely self-differentiated, uh, this is the guy who landed the plane in the Hudson for uh, U.S. Air, now American Airlines. That's the one plus, I think, that you know, I'm an American <laughs> guy of acquiring U.S. Air is that we get Chesley Sullenberger in the deal. Right. Uh, although I think I'm, he's retired now, but he's on the, on the speaking circuit. But, but he, you know, the, he landed the plane in the Hudson. There's so many great stories about, about him uh, and the, the you know, taking off and the bird strike and how Jim Skiles, who was, at, was actually at the helm at the time, uh, you know, who is uh, this big brawny guy and has this deep baritone voice, hi, Jim Skiles, right? And <laughs> and uh, Sullenberger, when he takes over uh, the plane, it, it, uh, uh, it says, my aircraft, right? And that's like the, the code, right? I'm taking over. Right, I'm and flying the plane. I'm flying the plane, yep. right? And I'm flying the plane. And Skiles pipes in with, your aircraft! <laughs> yeah. You can, you can, you can, <laughs> you can hear... His, his voice go way up, and then then Sullenberger does something really interesting. He 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 tells he says him he says Jim execute the ditch checklist, mm-hmm. right? and the ditch checklist is designed to be executed from thirty five thousand feet. They're at like seven <laughs> or less, maybe even less, yeah, like 5, yeah, 000. less, yeah. Right. So clearly, all he was doing was self differentiating. He was getting he getting Skiles off his back, right. And 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 saying, hey, listen, I've got to fly this aircraft. And perhaps the the the, the or, or actually, as Sullenberger himself has put it, and I've listened to interviews with him, s- safely crash the aircraft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, was that for an oxymoron? <laughs> he, but he but he goes, hey, but it was not a landing. <laughs> said, I, need, I need to safely crash the aircraft. And of course, some airline pilots will tell you that that's really all any landing is. It's actually just a safe crash. Safe crash, sure, uh, sure. But but he there was an interview, and I'll try to find it and put it up as part of our show notes, where Sullenberg is interviewed by Katie Corrick on, I think it was 60 Minutes. And and she asks him a very interesting question. She said, so Captain Sullenberg, or, d- d- did you pray? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And he says... No, ma'am. It, there were 140 people behind me taking care of that. <laughs> 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 which is just a great story. All right, so, but, but what Sullenberger did is self-differentiate. He lowered his level of anxiety to increase his creativity. And this is what Friedman's plea is to us, that in, if we're in leadership positions, what we're looking to do is self-differentiate and lower our anxiety about situations so that our creativity will be amped up because we can't increase creativity, right? We can only lower anxiety. And anxiety and creativity are always inversely proportional to each other, always. Right. 
the more anxious you are, the less creative. And if we're looking for creativity in organizations, we can't do it by ramping up the anxiety. And then, of course, Howard and Howard Hansen and Steve Jeske are, are folks who we've interviewed in the past on their book, Healing Leadership, then have taken this, I think, the next level to say, and what most leaders do is they amp up the anxiety, right? They ratchet it up rather than step it down. Yep. Uh, and and one of the ways that they do this, and this is I, 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 this is the one of the best findings of, of reading uh, leadership in the age of the quick fix or he, uh, by uh, I'm sorry the the uh, failure of nerve, is he he talks about the the reliance on data in organizations and equates it to a substance abuse problem, right? Rather than looking at some of the emotions. They're correct. He says, you know, we we have created a culture in organizations where where data has become the most important thing. And look, now this is not to say that data is unimportant. This is not to say that that big data won't reap potentially large dividends for all of us at some point. But his his point is is that what happens is that people become over overly reliant on data from a decision making standpoint. And and he says it, and it's like a substance abuse problem. He says they they it's, they get a, it's leaders and managers get a little bit of data, and then they want more. Yep. Give me more data, right? And it just it just completely overwhelms them to the point where you get you know a paralysis by analysis and all that kinds of things. But just just, just another thing. It, it, where else in a book are you going to find? Um, a sentence like this, which I think ends the, the preface uh, before he goes into chapter one, he says, I will be quite content if all I have succeeded in accomplishing is to supply this century's best candidate for a book burning. <laughs> <laughs> this is like an anti-business book, much like Steve and Howard's healing uh-huh. leadership that, you know, we talked to them about it and it, it, it just... It, it, this book is mind blowing. I read it. Uh, I think you told me about it, and yeah, I uh, mine is highlighted like you wouldn't believe with all kinds of notes, and uh, it really just makes you stop and think, and think, and, th- and, and think. I'm still thinking about it, and, and then co- and then come back to it, it and 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 flip the book open occasionally and read a sentence and go, dang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but that quote that you open the segment with is just so brilliant. It, it, yeah. it it's so and it's so true. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and his other point is on this, and you know, because the other side, he's given the prescription for if you want your spile, uh, child, spouse, client, boss, whatever to shape up, right? He he, you know, he, he does say later, you know, the other the other antidote is, hey, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, re- remove yourself from the situation. Don't don't play in. Right. Don't play. And this is the, the, the whole theory of triangles, which we don't have time to go into. But listen to the Howard and Steve show um, the, and that we, we, we spend a lot of time on that. But but he says, you, you, remove yourself from the situation that causes you anxiety. Yeah, the relationship triangles or the triangles that uh, Howard and Steve talk about in their book. That really does give some great uh, practical use for for Friedman's book it really does show you uh, what's going on here with these relationships and wow I just 
when I got to write the foreword to Howard and Steve's book, the it was like I wish I would have read this back in elementary school. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it you would, but been, you wouldn't have gotten it. You would, it wouldn't have worked. It, it yeah, pro- no, it probably wouldn't have. But you know what I mean. I it's like you know if I knew then what I know now type of thing. But uh, yeah, right. just the, this is just absolutely this is a great book, Ed, and really hard to to describe too. So I exactly. <laughs> I got one more. I got one more quote, and I I, I often w- when we do the after action reviews for these book i said ron you read too many quotes now i'm going to read too many quotes so that's fine that's fine I, I know how that I is have, i have written next to this in the margin read this a thousand times that's what i wrote when i first read this okay <laughs> so, right so listen to this and think about this in your businesses folks most crises cannot by their very nature be resolved that is fixed they must simply be managed until they work their way through Right? This is generally a process that cannot be willed any more than one can make a bean grow by pulling on it. This, of course, puts a premium on self-regulation and management of anxiety instead of frantically seeking the right solution. And, and you know, Ed, I think about that in the context that we've talked about before that, you know, there's no solutions, there's only trade-offs. But also that, you know, if we just execute, if we just work harder, if we just, you know, if we just push the bean harder it'll, and, you know, it doesn't work that way. No, that's, I mean, that's, that, that's, uh, who, who is that boxer, the horse in animal farm? That's who you become. I will yeah. work harder. I will work harder. Yeah. Yeah. You become anyway, Sisyphus, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 So fantastic book, Edwin Friedman, A Failure of Nerd, Leadership in the Aids of the Quick Fix. Read it slowly. <laughs> just, yes. I'm just telling you, read it slowly. But uh, right now we're up against our second second break. We want to remind you, thesoulofenterprise.com is up and live. You can go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash iTunes, and that will take you directly to our iTunes link where you can download all of our previous shows and certainly subscribe to our show via iTunes. One thing that would really help us out is to review the podcast on iTunes and just go in there and click five. That's what we want you to do, really. Go in there, click five. That's it. We want we want to at some point, and this is our goal, to get on their list of up-and-coming podcasts. So please uh, go out there and, and click five. We'd love for you to do that. But right now we are uh, going to hear from our friends Peter Wolf at Azamba. <laughs> We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're doing best business books so we've done uh, gary hamill's the future of management which i really enjoyed and ed just did edwin friedman's book a failure of nerve which uh, second second cheer and third cheer for that, Ed. That's a really difficult book. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you picked it, not me. Yeah, we didn't scratch the surface, folks. Did not even scratch the surface. We put a, we could, a tiny little nick. We could spend a whole show on that. Yeah. But, but Ed, as you know, I, we're, we're both enormous Drucker fans, and he's written over 40 books. And I don't know, I haven't counted, but I think I've read you know somewhere over half of that of his and lots of his articles and everything else. But what's starting to come out since his, since his passing is some of his students are starting to write books of what Drucker was like in the classroom huh. at Claremont University. And of course, you know, you, you, read, you read his books, you get a sense for his worldviews and his beliefs. And we've talked about a lot of them on this show, but you don't get to hear him in the classroom and, what, and how he was like interacting with students. So the book I picked for this, um, because, you know, I could pick lots of Drucker books, but I picked a book called A Class with Drucker by William Cohen who was Drucker's first Ph.D. student ah. at Claremont Graduate University. And he studied uh, for his Ph.D. with Drucker between 75 and 79. So um, he's been around a while. He's, all, he's subsequently written other books about Drucker that I've read, and they're excellent. I really like this guy. He's a, he's a good thinker. He's a really good writer and, and very interesting. But he, you know, he points out that Drucker called himself a social, social ecologist, uh, not so much a management thinker, and he believed the human condition could be advanced by more effective management and more ethical leadership. You know, we probably don't talk enough about Drucker's ethical views. Mm. <laughs> He's got very, very strong ethical views about business and, and management and leadership, and it's really based upon, you, you know, the, the concept of first do no harm. That was right. his kind of overarching principle. But the, the book is kind of divided into Drucker lessons. And they're not so much, you know, from each lecture or something, but just lessons that he's, he's grouped together. And I obviously can't go through all of them, but let me just give you a few that I think you'll thoroughly appreciate. One of Drucker's favorite lines was, what everybody knows is frequently wrong. <laughs> uncommon sense common nonsense <laughs> yeah. yes yeah that doesn't that tie in perfect with jules goddard and yeah yeah Kurt speak right <laughs> yeah uh yeah. but his, his examples of course were tylenol you know everybody said when the tylenol the first uh you know um scandal broke out or crises um everybody said well this this brand is dead right yep yeah. Oh, no, Johnson and Johnson did the right thing, and and there wasn't even the blip, you know, in in sales loss because of that. He also talked about Roger Bannister, um, you know, do cracking yeah. 
four minute mile and and you know at the time nobody thought that that would ever happen um but one of his other lessons and i think this is really really a key lesson is if you keep doing what worked in the past you're going to fail and this is what he did with uh, Jack Welch, apparently in the swimming pool at his home, <laughs> when after yeah. Jack became CEO uh, of GE in 1981, the, the value of the company, its market cap was about $12 billion. When Welch left some years later, that market value was 25 times that. And Welch, in his book, credits Drucker's two questions in that swimming pool, which were, uh, Jack, if you weren't already in the business, would you enter it today? And if the answer is no, what are you going to do about it? Wow. Okay. <laughs> and, and remember, this is when GE started shutting down and, and Welch is, what am I going to do about it is, well, if we're not number one or two, I'm shutting it down. Right. We're getting out. And you know, it's not a great question, Ed. I mean, what, if you weren't already in the business, would you right. enter it today? You know, fantastic, I, fantastic I, question. I, I even think about that in terms of like Sage. You know, you guys have uh, desktop software, and you you obviously have cloud-based software. Would you get into desktop today? Right. And a great question. What does that mean? Does that mean you should just shut down desktop and cannibalize it? And uh, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of the issue that uh, that Welch was that Welch was facing. And um, I, I really like that, though. If you keep doing what worked in the past, you're going to fail. <laughs> Not you might fail. You're going to fail. Right. Pretty, pretty direct. And this is also, Ed, where I and We talked to Dan Morris about this in the Crafting the Conversation show. Uh, he said, but, you know, approach problems with your ignorance, not your experience. And he, and then he says this, ignorance is the most important component for helping others to solve any problem in any industry. Now, what's really funny about this book is Cohen says, <laughs> you, you could see hands shooting up all over the classroom like, hey, why am I spending, you know, 40 grand a year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <If> Whoops. I, <laughs> and, and Drucker, he said, Drucker just waved off their questions and said, look, it, ignorance is not such a bad thing if you know how to use it. <laughs> 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 Just he wouldn't take their questions on that because I'm sure people, you know, th that sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? Right. Oh, yeah. No, without question. And one of the examples he gives for this, and it's a great point, uh, is Henry Kaiser. You know, Kaiser didn't know anything about shipbuilding, and yet because of his ignorance, he was able to build these Liberty ships, you know, and he built 1,500 of them in two-thirds the time and at one-fourth the cost. And Dang. those ships were, you know, instrumental in winning the war. So just re really, really interesting. Um, the other thing he thought you should do to become an effective manager, and as we love to say, not an efficient manager, mm -hmm. is you have to develop some level of expertise outside of your, outside of business even, you know, mm -hmm. like a hobby. Like he was, I think, really into Japanese art. So he was kind of like an expert in that. And he really thought just to expand your mind that you had to really – uh, you know, develop some type of expertise. He's talking deep expertise mm -hmm. uh, outside of, of your field. And the other one I, I like, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, maybe even with Tim Williams when we had him on, but this is where I learned that Drucker said the objective of marketing is to make selling unnecessary. 
So yeah, that, that makes a lot of salespeople very unhappy. I've talked oh. to I've talked about that in front of salespeople, and they're like, "What?" Yeah. I, I would imagine that would uh, upset your friend Rob Johnson. <laughs> you know, no, no, he, you know, Rob, Rob gets it. Rob's like, yeah, you know, but 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 he would say he, what he would say is, yeah, but marketing people will never do that well. <laughs> right, right, and 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 that needs to be said. He is saying in 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 a perfect world that right. your marketing would be so good that sales would be unnecessary. But he he did say that they were adversarial. And, and uh, you know, he, uh, this guy, Cohen, also talks about how the Japanese invented real marketing back in the 1600s. Now, I've read conflicting things about marketing, and <laughs> he talked to different marketers and ad agencies. They have different opinions about where marketing started, where advertising started, and all this. But uh, uh, the other point he makes about this is that a poor marketing strategy cannot be overcome by good implementation or marketing tactics. And yes. he didn't think that marketing should be just a function of the firm. He thought it was the it, it permeated every aspect of the business. Hence, his marketing concept, which is you know there's only two basic functions in every business: marketing and innovation. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not just a function. Um, of course, the other the other lesson he loved to teach was you can't predict the future, but you can create it, right? So he he talked uh, he talked about that. Um, he also talked about his admiration of the army and the reason that Drecker so admired the army was because it trains and develops more leaders with a lower casualty rate. <laughs> there, there wasn't much evidence in the, of the Peter principle in the army, but you know, an, another, um, quote that he gives from George Patton, which I love this, Ed, you'll, you'll love this too, given the, the mantra of, you know, diagnosis before prescription. Sure, sure, yeah. Patton says, a pint of sweat in training is worth a gallon of blood in combat. Yeah. And, you know, Drucker said, look, training is the Army's, now we, we have issues with the word training, I understand, but he said training is the Army's most important investment. It's not an expense to them, it's what they do. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. And, yeah. and he said most businesses, you know, they skimp on it and they, they view it as an expense. Um, he also put some things in here about how to motivate a knowledge worker. Uh, so that there's some, some interesting things in there. Drucker didn't hold any stock on the theory X, theory Y. He, you know, as we've talked about, thought that uh, knowledge workers obviously own the means of production and they're, they, they're not motivated by money alone and that they're actually volunteers and they need to be treated with respect and organizations need them more than they need any organization. Um, and then he had some ideas for your own self-development and he thought that it wasn't up to others to develop us. It was up to ourselves. You know, we couldn't, after we left school or home, we couldn't say, oh, the company has to develop me. No, no, it's up to you. And he said the, the best four ways that he used to, to engage in self-development was reading, writing, listening, and teaching. And I have to say, that's Kind of it's a pretty we, good list. That's yeah, a that's a really good list. So, so uh, square this square this circle before we ju- jump to a break here, though, Ron. Square this circle. So, yes, it's up to me as the individual to enhance my education and knowledge, but he also believes that companies should invest in people to do so. Right? He does. He does absolutely. So, so, so there was the, there was this a little bit of tension between. Well, it, yes, it's up to you ultimately, but if you're not getting it from your organization, do it yourself. But 
companies really should significantly invest in the education of their people. Right, right. I mean, how many times have you talked to, I've talked to lots of professionals say, oh, my, my firm won't pay for you yep. know, that type of education or what? And it's like, well, you know what? Do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't, don't be short-sighted just because your firm is. Oh, you know, the, be- the best investment payoff ever, uh, any ROI calculation is the investments you make in yourself. Absolutely. And it makes it remain, remain, reminds me of something that I heard you say once is instead of thinking of yourself as an employee or team member or colleague, whatever word, how about, how about thinking of yourself as an intellectual capital or knowledge investor in your organization, right? And, and, and you expect a dividend, you right. expect a dividend from that, and that 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 can be formalized education, but but it, but it can also be uh, a- anecdotal stories, working with people and gaining more insight and knowledge by by you know speaking, uh, t- talking, writing, doing all those things that Drucker talked about. Right, right. So, folks, just a great book if you want to get another. It's kind of another prism on Drucker rather than just reading his book, but kind of watching how he interacts with the classroom and and students. And it's called A Class with Drucker by William Cohen. Of course, we will post all of these up on our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And would like to remind you, if you'd like to email Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from... Ed's employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit BelieveInYourNumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing best business books. And Ed, you're up, and I know you're going to do probably the book that absolutely changed my life. Um, (laughs) The book you're going to do, I think, is probably the reason we're doing this radio show. I would uh, agree (laughs) 
one hundred percent. And people, I mean, you know, people criticize. All we do is, go, by the way, if you haven't noticed, go back and forth and say, "Absolutely, Ed. Absolutely, Ron." That's what we do on this show. We just agree with one another all the way. But yeah, like you, you know how Steve Jobs says you can only connect the dots backwards. You can't, yep. you can't connect the dots forwards. Well, I can connect my books, everything I do, back to the book that you're about to talk about, which is Gilder's Wealth and Poverty, written in 1981. Yeah, 1981 edition. I realize I have a, a first edition too, Ron, which is great. And wow. and actually, the reality of what I'm about to present here, because we've we've got about seven minutes left in the show, six seven minutes left. Uh, it, it's not best business books, Ron. It's best chapter, <laughs> <laughs> single chapter in a book in a book that happens to be related to business, because there's no way we could even begin to, to, to take on this whole book. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus my comments specifically on chapter four of this book, which is called The Supply Side. And, and, and any of those of who have followed us know that Ron and I are big supply siders when it comes to this. And just this is, I think, where both of this stems for, for both Ron and myself. What I find absolutely fascinating about this chapter is that it, there's a asterisk after the, the, the title of the chapter, the supply side, and this asterisk. And if you skip down to it, it says this, and I'm going to read this is the quote. This chapter is on theory of supply side economics, which may be safely passed over by readers who prefer a less abstract exposition of the subject. <laughs> which makes you want to read it more. <laughs> right. But he opens the chapter with, I think, the absolute most – there's there's no way to recover if, you, if you're if you a Keynesian, if you're an aggregate demand person, uh, Republican, Democrat. You know, monetarist. The, the monetarist, doesn't matter. Everybody, everybody who is in some way in love with aggregate demand as everyone who but supply-siders are to some extent, right – and this is the sense, the last sentence of the first paragraph. Even Karl Marx knew enough not to stress the crux of the keystone of capitalism, control over the means of consumption, <laughs> or even the supply of the money. What did, what did Karl Marx want to control? He wanted to control the means of production. The supply side. <laughs> Because supply is what creates demand. And then, of course, if you say that out loud without the context of people, say, yeah, well, how does that work in the housing market? So you just build houses? <laughs> if you build it, they will come if that's what you're saying? No, that's not what we're saying at all. And that's, that, 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 that is the, the key misunderstanding. Right? It is. Uh, the key misunderstanding is not about if you build it and they will come. That is not what supply siders are talking about at all. And mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have time. I'm going to make sure to read this one sentence, which I think once and for all kills the whole trickle down thing. All right. Um, but, but back to this. What he means is, is that you must first give in order to receive. That's what he means by the supply side. One must supply first, right? And he said what the problem is is that the, the Keynes and everyone else who followed, even who then even bastardized Keynes and don't even get Keynes right, right, and monetarists and all of this stuff, right? They they wanted to to main, they, they wanted to influence this idea of demand, right? It it pure it, he says it preoccupies bureaucrats and economists, but but what they did not get. And it became uh, – the supply gradually became just a derivative of what he called Say's Law, right? Mm -hmm. 
But it was not only they they not only refuted it, and this is my favorite sentence in the book, and I and I almost have it completely memorized, but I don't. It was it, it was implicitly reversed, and I love this with cause and effect, hopelessly confused, <laughs> hopelessly confused in the proposition that demand creates creates its own supply. So that's what everybody that, that, that that's what demand, Keynesian aggregate demand monetarists they all believe this right. And and then he and then he, I love this. He biblicizes it in a sense. There's a, a there's an M dash, yeah. and then he biblicizes this idea of demand creates its own supply with this. He says, in other words, you should say take, and it will be given unto you. <laughs> yep, it's brilliant. <laughs> it, I, I, and you know, I have in the in the margin on this quote. I shared my margin quote earlier. I have holy bleeping blank next to written next to it. That's what I have. Written next to that quote, <laughs> this this book, it, you know, I think I told you when I read it in 1981. Uh, I read it in one sitting. It blew my mind, and I just remember that this is like reading literature. Not only is is he turning my economic worldview inside out because I was steeped in both Keynes and monetarism mm-hmm. with Friedman, and he just turned that inside out. On that same page, Ed, where you get that quote, page 31. Mm-hmm. He talks about the notion of perfect competition at the top of that page. Yep. He blows up the perfect competition model. That alone caused me to get downgraded in college courses because mm-hmm. I would argue with the professors that perfect competition is a joke. And I would, <laughs> I would quote this passage from Gilder and they, they would write in my blue book, you know, well, that's a real interesting view, Ron. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, there's just so many passages like that in here that are just so profound, right? And you know, again, if you if you can just find this one chapter and read it and read it over and over again, there's just just so much uh, in here. I mean, he takes on the whole idea of you know more security equals less freedom. Uh, as you said, he he completely destroys the notion of perfect competition. He talks in a sense even earlier in the chapter chapter about why public opinion and why uh, democracy and political leaders, because he says that that and I love this is that leadership, political leadership is supply and public. Opinion is demand. And he says. So what? So it, no, it's not public opinion that drives leadership. The le- leadership is does what it's supposedly going to do. It supplies us with the ideas that people then have public opinion on. And this is was Thomas Sowell's point when he talked to us about you know all polling data is helplessly flawed in that it it doesn't it doesn't look at cause and effect in the right way at all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, okay, so here we are. We've we got about two minutes left, and here I want to just settle this once and for all. Everyone who's listening, please hear my voice and say the supply side is not, never was, never will be about trickle-down economics. That is a term that is used by the opponents of it. it, it of course, George Bush called it voodoo economics, right? But you, he, you will hear what Ron and I believe talked about as trickle-down economics, trickle-down economics. All right, this is from the book that's, that started this, the whole thing, and this is what he attributes to. This is the guy who wrote the book. He says, buying power does not essentially trickle down <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> as wages or flow up and away as profits and saving. It originates with production at any level. This is simply uh, and only the first truth about wealth and poverty. Give and you will be given unto. <laughs> yep. It is not trickle down. It is, and it's not even trickle up. I've, I've said it's really trickle up. It's not trickle up. No, it's not. 
it's create, it's yep. give, it's 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 do something that is a value for someone else. This this notion that demand creates wealth. I mean, poor countries have just as much demand amongst their consumers, pent up. But it, it's it's the supply side that creates all wealth. I mean, that's just so so obvious, but so I think poorly misunderstood by people. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so so Ed, uh, you know, I'm just thrilled to announce that we're going to have Mr. Gilder on next week for the entire hour. I, I just. I'm I'm almost I'm speechless. I'm just I'm in awe of this man. I mean, he's written so many books uh, that, and you know, we'll we'll be able to ask about some of them and 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 get it from um, you know the original source. Yeah, it's going to be. I, I'm blown away that we've got him on the show, and really looking forward to. It. What do we call him? Like, oh, your Highness, Holy One. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. What to, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be Mr. Gilder until he tells us otherwise. <laughs> All right, he's not professor or anything. He's just going to be yeah, Mr. No, Gilder. No. Okay, <laughs> I like Doctor Soul. But, All right, uh, yeah, no, I'm, and I'm really looking forward to that. This is just going to be, folks. You're not going to want to miss this show. Peter uh, George Gilder is just uh, all time mentor, at least for me. So. Uh, yep. I think it's going to be really interesting. All right, great. Well, uh, we will do this in 167 hours, Ron. All right, Ed. See you then. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, where we will have Mr. George Gilder. In the meantime, visit us on thesoulofenterprise.com. Thank you.